Hello, it's Matt here from the Shark Live Royal podcast. Uh, as you know, we've now reached the end of our Dance with Dragons coverage. So over the next few weeks, we're going to have a series of bonus podcasts called The Shark Cage, and these will contain spoilers. So um, if you want to come to the Winds of Winter when we do end up reading it completely spoiler-free, it might be worth skipping the next few weeks. Um, we'll always have a clear warning like this at the start of every spoiler podcast. Uh, but if you dare... Join us as we enter the uncharted waters and open up the shark cage. The morning after a Game of Thrones episode goes out for the first time, if everybody's talking about one character, we all know that that character died. Uh, we return to uh, Super Aya Beatdown Party 98 on the Super Nintendo. made me think watching it how weird it's going to be if you're watching it in a different language it's the Portuguese would be uh, Segura Porta so it's a little kid's going to be going Segura Porta Segura Porta Segura Seg Odor Oh the door Oh the door Oh Oh No Emotion Yes so welcome to the Shark Live Royal podcast. Oh, Dave, I'm Matt. I'm Dave, hello. Can I tell you something? that you, you've, you've done there something that I was about to really rave about on this podcast as well, was people... I, so th- this, this episode, this particular bit, was spoiled for me by people posting the words hold the fucking door all over Facebook before I got a chance to watch the episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, anyway, I was, quite, I was quite lucky because the people sent me a couple of things, but it was just people saying Hodor, so I thought, well... Okay, yeah. so he's no, in but, it, is he? Yeah, but even yeah, well, I mean, that's very that's um that's very self-preserving of you, Matt. Because usually, if somebody sends me the morning after a Game of Thrones episode goes out for the first time, if everybody's talking about one character, we all know that that character died. <laughs> so that yeah. itself, this is the only TV series which is like is so incredibly sensitive to spoilers because. All you need to do is mention a character's name and you know that they've been killed because that's what they do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I suppose so. So, um, as ever, we are uh, going through the Game of Thrones TV series now, um, basically from the perspective of two guys who've spent the best part of three years reading and podcasting <laughs> about the books. Uh, so we, we are definitely some... experts in our ignorance, I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so uh, this podcast goes from a sort of having read all the Game of Thrones books perspective. So if you don't want to be spoiled about um, what happens in any of the Game of Thrones books from obviously the first one right through till um, A Song of Ice and Fire's Dance with Dragons, then um, obviously beware, we will be talking about events from that and how events from the series affect them. So this week, as you can tell, it's uh, episode five of series six, Hold the... well. It's called the door, isn't it? There's no hold in it. The door. There's no. There's no hold because that would have given it away, and they wanted to leave everybody else to do that on social media afterwards. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I mean, let's. We've also got uh, a couple of our favourite fan theories that we discuss every week. We take two new ones every week, and we'll be doing that at the end of the podcast. And we've also got your feedback. Um, if you want to get in touch yourselves, give us any theories of your own or thoughts on the podcast or the show. You can email us. Sure you can. Sharkliveroyalpodcast at gmail.com. Um, alternatively, find us on Twitter at Sharkliveroyal. What are you laughing at? <laughs> what? 
What are you laughing at? Nothing. I, brilliant. I literally wasn't laughing at anything there. So I, I, I can only assume that the, the connection between us, the Skype connection here, is so slow that you just got sent through as if from the distant past a laugh and you responded to it. An interesting uh, parallel, Matt, with what goes yeah. on in this episode. Eh? Well, well, I like it, yeah. Yeah, you um, see. Pro me. Let's start as ever at the beginning. I mean, it's a downbeat start, and it gets it doesn't get much better. Um, so. It's definitely this is this is the sort of yeah it's 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 the depressing mid career album from an yeah. indie band. This episode, isn't it? Yeah. So Sansa gets a letter from from Littlefinger, like, "Hey, what's happening, Sansa? I'm in Mole's town. You totally got to meet up." Um, she's like, <laughs> "What? <laughs> you you fucking what?" <laughs> So, yeah, Sansa travels to Molestown to see Littlefinger. Um, do, I mean, a few people have mentioned this. Um, do we care that Littlefinger seems to have this amazing ability to get around Westeros quicker than anybody else? He's basically got a jetpack. <laughs> well, he's um, got the eagles, hasn't he? He's, he's been on the phone to Gandalf. <laughs> yeah, he was in the Vale, like, a few days ago, and he's made all haste up to Molestown, so he's practically at the wall. Yeah. Um, but anyway, she goes along. Um, she's obviously furious with Littlefinger because he gave her to Ramsay Bolton and we all know what happened next and actually she makes she makes him basically say you know guess what happened to her yeah what did you make was... of this uh, two things Ooh. really I, 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 obviously Sansa's anger is justified but yeah ba- Baelish is he legit here when he says that I've just made a mistake I'm really sorry or is no. he is he playing a long con um well I think Baelish's whole life is a long con, isn't it? Mm. And it's um, and so which made this. I can't believe, especially given how angry Sansa is and how she goes in talking about how much she wants to have him killed. Why, at the end of this scene, she lets him go? Mm. You know, because she's no reason, no residual reason, no character reason at all to be merciful towards this bloke, right? And mm. so I suppose you could say, you know, this is a measure of. Littlefinger's Olympic standard ability to talk himself into or out of any situation he pleases, mm. um, and he and you know Aidan Gillen did fairly well looking penitent, but fucking I I don't know like if I was her I would have been particularly you know if like because what she says here is completely justified. It's like do you realise what you are responsible for here? Like and and in a way it's a great scene. It's it's a guy, it's a man in Westeros being presented with the the consequences to somebody he claims to care about of the kind of endless marriage trading back and forth. Mm. But because it's Littlefinger, I don't think it has the impact that it could have because Littlefinger's a wrong gun for a start. And he knows, like, he's not unsympathetic. His whole thing is kind of being able to work out what people think. So he must have realised that this is a deeply unpleasant thing to happen, even if you're being married off to somebody nice mm. rather than, you know, the biggest bastard in the history of Westeros. Yeah. So, yeah... I don't know. I, I there was it was a weird one. This and then later on when she sort of kind of covers for him almost, you know yeah. what I mean? Like uh, which we'll come to obviously. But it does seem. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's realistic. He's still got his claws in her head, even if she's acting out this enormous rage. But no, I'm not sure. Uh, what did yeah. you think? I think he. Um, I kind of got the feeling he underestimated Sansa here as well in terms of how angry she would be, in that he sort of turns <laughs> up on his own. Um, thinking she'll just come in and be like the same like malleable character he's spoken to in the past saying oh yeah that was dreadful but I assume you had my best interests at heart 
<laughs> and <obviously laughs> she doesn't think that. But um, yes. I, I, I kind of got a feeling of him. Obviously, they've been through a lot together up until this point, and he's done a lot to to protect her and say it saved her from King's Landing. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe there is something in the back of Sansa's mind where she thinks maybe he is just he just fucked up. He's like, oh man, I'm really sorry. I made a massive mistake. And um, you know, I suppose. Okay, he's he is very um, he's very adept at uh, sort of long con games and stuff and playing the Game of Thrones, Baelish. But I suppose it's not beyond the realms of possibility that the sort of the background and character of the sort of bastard son of a minor lord from the north um, escapes his attention, especially if like Roose Bolton's doing his best to hide and suppress any news about what Ramsay's really like. We see how hard it is to get information from different parts, especially if geographically you're quite quite far away from various parts of the Westeros. So I don't know. I can see why Sansa might think, you know, maybe he's genuine. I could even see a case for, for it being just one, just, just one case of where Littlefinger's made a miscalculation. It, it does kind of feel like he's just literally thrown himself on a mercy here. He's not turned up with any of his any of his hmm. men from the Vale. He's not for a guy who's so careful, he doesn't have much of a contingency here. He's just saying I don't yeah. think if, if she if she calls his bluff and says, Right, Brienne, kill him, I don't think he survives. I think he just dies. So Yeah, exactly, yeah. 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 Um yeah, so and he doesn't know that she's got Brienne either. Mm. Um so he doesn't know that she's got this like good enough to be in a Kingsguard badass following her around. Yeah. Um yeah. so yeah, I, yeah, I suppose. I don't know. It's just difficult, isn't it? Because there's the idea of a bad character being realistically nuanced. I've kind of almost thrown away because Ramsay Bolton's <laughs> just such a one-note <laughs> git. You know what I mean? So now, now you're asking me to consider the possibility that Peter Baelish is, you know, an interesting and three-dimensional character, and I'm having to remember what it's like to have interesting and three-dimensional antagonists. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Ramsey Bolton, just before we started this podcast, um, as I was, <laughs> just, as I was like, meeting up with Dave, I sent him a, a gif. Oh, of, you uh, son of a. <laughs> of Ramsey Bolton. Unbelievable, the by the way. I think this, this Peter, uh, Peter Bailey stuff, I think we'll know whether he's sort of, I'm sorry I made a mistake, stuff is legit. Um, when we find out, I mean, yeah, it gives her this information about, she says her uncle, the Blackfish, has retaken River Run, and you should sort of rely on his army more than John's. If this is true, uh, I would be inclined to say, I reckon he, he just made a mistake here. If this is some kind of new roll of the dice for him, trying to play Sansa, then I think it's quite clear that he's no loyalty to her at all, really. But we'll see. Yeah, yeah. Um, next up. Uh, we return to uh, Super Arya Beatdown Party 98 on the Super Nintendo. <laughs> she, she continues to get beaten up. Yeah, <laughs> bloody hell. What, I mean, can you look at this and honestly say that you couldn't have truncated this experience somewhat? Because in the first episode, you have she's on the street, she's begging, she's blind, she gets beaten up. Right. <laughs> Second episode, she's on the street, she's begging, she's blind, she gets beaten up, and then she gets a sight back. Eh? Third episode... She goes and carries on getting beaten up, but in a slightly different area. <laughs> I and think it'd be uh, hilarious 
if she gets beaten up just every episode, <laughs> just have five minutes of intermittent <laughs> music. Yeah, of all, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you just want it Benny to be Hill. Crypt of the Necro Dancer, don't you? Is what you want it to be. <laughs> I was thinking wow, of Benny wow, Hill. Wow, wow. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, 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 exactly. Just running, like, in fast forward, actually, I would love to see all of these scenes that have turned out into nothing on fast forward mode, because I think that would be really funny. (laughs) In the middle of the the episode. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. And now, a comic interlude with Arya Stark. Yeah, so the end of this, um, she gets a little lesson about, from Jack and Hagar, about the faceless men saying that they founded, they actually founded Bravos, which is interesting. And um, they came out of a, a slave uprising. Very similar. There's some weird parallels here, I suppose, to Marine. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Like, and it, because it's, I think, I think this is one of the areas where I'm kind of suffering from the difference between the, the book and the TV series. Because mm. the book and the TV series both have quite oblique ways of telling the story. And mm. that's cool. They kind of, but they have, they, each format has to maintain quite tight control over that kind of flow of information and that flow of like revelation and plot. Mm. Um, but now, because and and because A Song of Ice and Fire is a really slow moving story at certain points, like mm. you have to stay really engaged. And there's a point at which where I really feel like I'm kind of lacking the energy to stay as engaged as I would like to be across both things mm. so yeah. like like with this mystery with what's going on with Arya you know I'm like I really actually I really really do want to know I honestly know no I do but it's just really difficult <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, she gets given another hit um, this is her like l- last chance to be a faceless faceless man which is um, she's got to go and kill this actress called Lady Crane so she goes along to this play it's basically like a, kind of like one of those medieval um, plays, or maybe a bit later, maybe like a, a Shakespeare almost kind of play. Um, Let, let's but, not dignify the verse in this with uh, with Shakespeare, <laughs> shall we? I mean, I, mean I, I like I like a bawdy rhyming couplet as much as the next medieval peasant, but <laughs> <laughs> let's be honest. <laughs> you don't dare! I dared. You didn't! I dared. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that um, that was that was pretty good, and and. You could do a lot worse than cast Kevin Eldon in this. For yeah. A di- oh, what, what, as the guy who played, uh, who played um, uh, Ned Stark, for those who don't yeah, know, yeah. was a sort of long-term hero of British comedies. Only ever had his own show once, but he's been in loads of other shows, basically being really, really, really funny. And I love that they cast him in this. I really yeah. do. Yeah. So it's, uh, it was quite, I, I really like this, this play as far as how... I thought it was quite interesting how sort of... It's making comments on how history is portrayed um, yeah. through through sort of mass like popular fiction, I suppose, or semi-fiction, and the idea that Joffrey's this like innocent little boy, and Ned Stark is like this absolute buffoon, um, <laughs> and they sort of it's sort of drawing on sort of some real life characteristics and just oh, yeah. turn them yeah. into cartoonish versions of themselves. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Actually, that sort of image of um, of uh, like how history is told, and we've touched on this before, haven't we? Is just like it's what everybody remembers immediately after you left. That's yeah. what forms your reputation or not, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, and here we have, you know, the death of Joffrey was followed by an enormous amount of chaos. So, must have been bad, you know, and mm. he must have been a nice bloke. 
Yeah. Uh, it's just so completely, like, unjustifiably inaccurate. Yeah. But there is something truthful in it about, you know, about the way it works. I thought it was interesting as well how um, when Ned is actually killed on stage, I is basically playing herself in the in the play because she exists exactly how it happened. Like she's in the middle yeah. of this audience watching yeah. it and the rest of them are loving it and she's just horrified yeah. and it's happening again, but as a play. Yeah. I thought that was really powerful as a callback. Um, mm. And I thought it was, it was really well, really, really, really well done mm. um, as a, as a thing of like, and it did actually, it was powerful enough to really kind of jerk me back into caring about Arya's storyline because mm. I finally saw something in her current experience which relates to her previous experience before she got on the boat in yeah. um, Boat to Bravos. Because pre- the whole thing with the with the, the many-faced god has been tearing her down and destroying her personality for some purpose unknown. Mm. Um, whereas, whereas, you know, she goes and she sees this and she relives it and you kind of see her her personality get another like a, a layer or two back hmm. um so i thought i was really good yeah that's a that's that's a really sort of interesting part of that isn't it her reaction to this play in terms of what it says about her getting rid of her old self and becoming this nobody character because when it started she's laughing along with the audience and i thought oh this is gonna this is gonna show us that she really has cast off a lot of Arya stark but mm. then her reaction changes when she sees her father killed again, yeah. and you realise that yeah, she's not, she's not as um, sort of, yeah, she's not cast the Arya Stark character off as much as maybe some people expect, and as much as the faceless men hope. Yeah, well, and that's very much in line with the book, isn't it? Where she gets a sight back just basically because she takes enough of a kick in, and then they go, yeah, you, you you must be on the level now. It's fine. And internally, she's still filled with hatred towards all these people on her list, and you know she's still holding on to all this stuff that's happened in the past. Mm. Whereas um, in the TV series, like I was saying a couple of weeks ago, it's felt a bit more like, oh, okay, all right, <laughs> you know, uh, don't really, you know, because it's all on the surface and she's pretending. But now we actually get an opportunity to see what how she feels about it and how much she still feels connected to it. So I like that because it was, you know, more complicated. Yeah. We go backstage, get a nice big close-up of a hairy, warty cock. You're not kidding, you hey? Go, I mean, uh, <laughs> right, fair enough, fair enough. There is dramatically more female nudity in this than male nudity in this. So <laughs> I'm not saying you shouldn't have done it. I'm just saying, how about you dial it all back? <laughs> if at least half of your audience is having the response that I had to somebody being like, here's an enormous close-up of my penis, <laughs> then is it really the direction you want to go, is my thing. Because <laughs> the thing is, that it's, it's interesting, it's, like, it's not a prurient response. I'm like, yeah, you know, fine, you know, nudity, great. But I'm just like, well, I, I, you know, <laughs> not certain I want to see that. Be, Yeah, exactly, I was surprised. And I suppose, yeah. you, know, uh, you know, at the very most, you can't possibly be surprised at this point in the TV series when it presents you with nudity. And yet, and yet, I was. <laughs> um, but we also um, see that uh, this... This Lady Crane character is sort of this nice, older, lovey character. Yeah. Um, doesn't seem to be much malice in her. And this gets Arya questioning why she's the woman who's going to be killed. And when she puts this to Jake and Hagar, he basically says, look, you know, where someone paid the price, we don't ask why, we just do it. And I think this is like a moment for Arya to think, you know, is this really the kind of organisation I want to be part of? 
Yeah. Yeah, and that's good. And we haven't had any of that. And that has really irritated me. Like, mm. she's been so committed, perhaps realistically, you know, to the kind of the demands placed on her by this organization. Mm. But to me, I'm like, how are you not asking why they do this? Mm. You know, how are you not asking why Jake and Hagar is a guy worth following across the world? Why are you not asking why it's worth getting your teeth knocked out once every 20 minutes? Mm. <laughs> you know, why is this not something you're asking? So I'm, I'm pretty happy that, you know, she is asking it. Yeah, because I think a lot of her motivation um, to persist and persevere with becoming a faceless man is because she's basically being promised here, you know, she t- to be given the, the tools and the means to cross the rest of those names off her list. It's all about revenge, isn't it? Um, mm, but yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's, that was all tied up in. Those names are on Aya's list because for whatever reason, they need, you know, these are bad people in her eyes. Um and this now she's confronted with killing people who she does doesn't sort of have a problem with and doesn't think need to die. So yeah, yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we get over to uh, to Bran. We, we will spend a fair bit of time up uh, north of the Wall in this this episode. We uh, shall. Bran, yeah, Bran's doing a bit of war, uh, doing a bit of sort of past seeing again, green seeing. And it's this is interesting, isn't it? The children of the forest making the first white walker. Yeah, fucking hell. Like a real massive plot moment there. And what a powerful way of turning the white walkers into something other than just facelessly evil, you know, this tide of horror coming at you. And fair enough, they do a lot of the tide of horror stuff in this episode as well. Yeah. Um, But the very fact that the existence of this thing that's threatening your lives proceeds from your own violence i thought that was incredibly powerful and Mm. a really really great way of handling it because the whole thing is that the children of the forest made these things because of what the first men were doing and the andals Mm. were doing in um in uh, when they when they first came to westeros right yeah and the way they were acting towards the children of the forest so like I think I find that actually really, really interesting um, mm. and really, really powerful. This idea that you are now threatened as a consequence of your own violence, um, I think, is very apposite for our time. Mm. And it's actually a very true thing to say about violence in general. Violence begets violence, and it's true. Um, uh, but so, but leaving it until six seasons in, I think, is an absolute masterstroke because you spend six seasons just being like, "Yep, yeah, they're the bad guys. Yep, yeah, definitely want to kill them. Yep, yeah, cool, cool." Cool, lots of death, yep, yep. Yep. And then you're like, "Uh, oh, hmm. (laughs) Uh, While that may be an appropriate response to this threat, actually, the origins of this threat are in precisely such violence. So let's be clear that killing somebody doesn't solve anything. Yeah, and it's just also the dangers of creating such a powerful weapon and... Yeah, and it getting away from you. I'll be quite curious. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not sure because of what happens at the end of this episode. I'm not sure how we're going to find out now. But yeah. I'm quite curious as to how it got away from the children of the forest. This, you know, at what yeah. point or what happened to make them lose control of these White Walkers? Maybe it happened well, straight away. You just sort of got up and just started killing everyone. They're like, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can imagine the the sort of. This sort of Doctor Strange love bunker scene before they decided to do this, can't you? It's like, look, we can't afford for there to be a, a hideous undead monster gap here. We need to make one of our own. All right, okay. So you're telling me that if you push this thing slowly into this poor bastard's chest, then he's going to become unstoppable and evil and impervious to ordinary swords. 
yeah, yeah. So is he going to do what we tell him to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure he will. I'm sure he will. I mean, he won't associate us with, in any sense, horrifying pain or a complete reordering of his very being on the spiritual level. No, I'm sure he'll be fine. Yeah, it'd be, be re. Everybody re. They're going to give him this mushroom and it will make him docile. Then he comes to life. <laughs> give him the mushroom. It's not working. It's not working. <laughs> <laughs> What's the backup plan? There is we no can... backup plan. <laughs> just, you can just imagine the whole plan coming down to Horlicks? A cup of Horlicks? You were getting a cup of Horlicks? Well, it always chills me out. Eh? It always makes me a bit sleepy. I thought it would make him sleepy too. He's a fucking zombie. Horlicks? Yeah. So, yeah, so this, um, this super weapon... Um, got away from the children of the forest. It's kind of like, I don't know, it's classic sci-fi sort of Matrix, Terminator style, isn't it? The oh, thing yeah. The creators has, has become the biggest menace to them. Oh, um, irony, Matt. It's irony. There you go, yeah. And um, one other bit from this I thought was quite cool. Um, so I'm told, the, uh, the guy, like the actor playing the guy who gets killed, who gets those things shoved into him, is actually the same guy who plays the Night King, so this is the first one. Oh, oh, it is because I, yeah. I was trying to I was trying to remember his face mm. and then look at him later on in the episode and be like, same guy. I mean, yeah. it would make no sense if it wasn't, but he he looks fairly comprehensively withered yeah. as the Night King, so it's a bit difficult to know, isn't it? Yeah. Um, we move on to the um, I don't know, sort of the. The, the budget cut price version of the King's Moot. Um, this is one of those ones where the book, the book is so much cooler than what happens here. But let's uh, let's just have a look at it. So it's the it's where they decide who's going to be the King of the Iron Islands. Um, in the book, as you remember, I'm not sure which episode it, of our podcast it would be which covered it. It was one of the Feast for Crows ones. There was a. Uh, you know, chests full of treasure and pine cones, this massive <laughs> backdrop of a skeleton of a sea dragon where they hold the meeting, this dragon horn, uh, and all this other stuff. And it's really scaled back for the... I think they're probably it really is. down because they're like, yeah. there's all this, we've just had a little, little little tree people bringing back a an ice monster. There's only so much fantasy people can take. Let's just yeah. dial this right back. <laughs> yeah, that's probably very, very true. You would love to see the bit, though, isn't it? Because it's the King's Moot originally where there's this this horn that sort of burns the guy from the inside out, isn't it, when he blows yeah. it? Like, I mean, that would be a sight to see. Hmm. But, the, but the rest of it, actually, I think this, this is dramatically more disciplined, I thought, because I, yeah. I got quite frustrated with the sort of three, four chapters in a row. <laughs> of is it going to be Asher Yara? Is it going to be Yara? Is it not going to be Yara? Is it going to be somebody else? Maybe it's going to be Yara. Maybe we'll get, uh, to be continued. Yeah. And it did that three chapters in a row, and then it wasn't. And you're like, oh, yeah, right. that's true. Yeah, there's not no Victorian here either to sort of stomp around. Yeah, they've they've yeah. rolled all of these badass older Greyjoys into one slightly dickish character <laughs> what do you make of Euron I can't decide yet whether I think he's brilliant or like just a bit shit I've not decided I would say well first of all he's good value if only for the fact that you get this you, the ma- magnificent beautifully lit magnificently shot incredibly high production value scene of a bunch of basically Vikings standing around chanting the word as far as I could hear Urin. Over and over again. <laughs> urine! 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 
<laughs> it's the weirdest battle cry in the history of everything. Um, uh, no, I mean, I yeah, I suppose he fulfills a role in the narrative, doesn't he? He's um, and I think there's definitely potential for the guy playing him to get into some scenery chewing later on. Yeah. Um, but in this scene, his whole role was just to turn up and be like, "Ha ha, not so much, Queen Yara," <laughs> and yeah. that was it. That was what he was there for, you know. Yeah. Uh, I was just kind of always imagined him as being a lot taller and skinnier year on and with sort yeah. of long sort of it's one of those ones where you, you get a very clear picture from reading the book of what you think he's going to be like and when it's not the same um, it's probably more about your own preconceptions about the character than how well they've put him together but he's pretty good I thought one thing that's a bit strange about him is his accent is a, is a, it's that sort of sort of uh, Scandinavian-y sort of strange accent that Tormund and the Thens have to some degree, which in this world is kind of strange because it feels like he's almost of sort of north of the wall stock. Maybe that's an idea. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, but, yeah, um, it could be. I mean, I, it would be... Yeah. I mean, I'm, inter- I'm, I'm definitely still in this story and I'm interested to see where it goes. Um, but, but, you know, let's not forget the last time that people set out on a boat without it being terribly clear where they were going to, it was Gendry. And we've not seen him since. <laughs> and he's still rowing. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, Gendry. Go on, son. King Gendry. That's where I am. <laughs> I think he's going to turn up at the uh, Rio Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely stacked. <laughs> Someone's got to do a gif of that when he gets yeah. to the rowing. Like, there's this game to the end. You just see this, this guy. <laughs> this guy come, on. <laughs> come on, Gendry. Come on. Time to be back in the series. Here we go. <laughs> Oh dear, yeah. So just to very briefly sum up the King's Moot, so um, Yara, vote Yara with uh, the VP uh, Theon Greyjoy. They make their bid for um, bid for the throne and they lose out to Euron who says he's going to go over to Marine and marry Daenerys. And obviously <laughs> something which uh, Theon can't do now, uh, or yeah. Yara. Yeah. Um, and then he thought, so we have the process of him, Euron's drowned, and then comes back to sort of resuscitates himself, luckily for him. Um, in yeah. the meantime, Yara and Theon run off with most of the ships. Um, they're going to build a thousand ships, apparently, at the Iron Islanders. Doesn't seem a great deal of forest on the Iron Island to build the tree, to build the uh, ships out <laughs> of. We'll see. Yeah, I did think that. He was like. Chop down all the trees, and I'd love it if, like, it, you know, smash cut to two minutes later, three people walking up to him holding two saplings <laughs> each. This is it, boss. What? Where have all the trees gone? You might have noticed there's been a lot of boats sunk recently. Yeah, it takes a long time to grow a boat, so this is it. What do you want to do? Do you want a paddleboard or what? Yeah, these, these three saplings represent... Uh, King Balon's great tree growing project of six <laughs> months ago. <laughs> <laughs> it was a new government initiative. Got a bit of uh, bit, bit of seed funding, but to be honest with you, uh, it, it's nowhere near ready to go. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah, uh, we go across the narrow sea to um, Daenerys and Jorah. Um, I tell you what, got a little choked up here. There's um. As Jorah sort of lays it on the line, yeah, tell, tells it after all these, you know, he admits after all this time he's always loved Daenerys, yeah, and shows her the uh, sort of the the disease that he's got and says, "Look, I've got to go." 
and she sort of doesn't let him at first and then so like commands him to find a cure oh I just thought, there I just you go this, i thought this was great um yeah. after six seasons this this really connected for me yeah yeah very very much very very much because and it's easy to forget isn't it that it you know this is so powerful because we've been waiting so long for it um and it's you know it, yeah it comes off really nicely yeah you know you know and and the I do quite like that she completely puts him in his place. You know what I mean? She mm. goes, I've sent you away twice and you've come back. I told you not to come back and you've come back. That's not acceptable. And he goes, mm. right, I'll leave. You know, and he's really cowed by that. And I thought that was a really significant moment. Like, mm. where he hasn't just... Because, you know, he was, he was in this weird position when we first met him where he was in love with this woman he was betraying. Um, but then... You know, then he kind of he got banished, and it allowed him to play the kind of, you know, knight of chivalry and kind of, um, you know, wounded honor and so on. Even though that was complete horseshit, but that's kind of what he was acting like, you know. Um, but then the moment where, for me, all of that stuff becomes true and sincere is this moment where he comes back to her and she mm. throws it in his face to start with, and he goes, "Yeah, fair enough." Like that's that's your right. That's what you you are allowed to do. That so at that point he really is paying attention to her, over paying attention to some weird romantic notion of knightly or courtly behaviour, mm. and yeah. self self dramatizing his life. You know he's been brought to a point by his love that he is now no longer acting in that way, and he's actually like yeah okay. And of course in response to that, there's this really lovely redemptive moment where she goes okay, you're going to do what I tell you to do. Cool, mm. get better. And so, and that's really that's a really smart way of bringing about reconciliation without it essentially, without it essentially being like him coming back and going, yeah, I've come back three times. You told me to go away. You fucking love it, and her just going, ah, I do just love it. I've got no mind of my own. You know, <laughs> like it's just a really powerful way of getting to the point where they are reconciled to a certain extent without her just being, you know, powerless. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I thought that was really great. It was really, really nicely structured. Where do you think this is going now? Is, is this going to matter? The fact he's got to go and find a cure? Is it? Oh, are we never going to see him again? Or what do you think? Um, that's that is a very, very, very good question. Um, I don't really think he's central enough to the story to get much more screen time. To be honest. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, like I, I don't know. I kind of hope he does. Like I quite like, I quite like him. Mm. Plus, if he's never in the goodbye, series again, though. sorry. Do you think this might just be goodbye? That's it. Yeah, I'm a bit worried by it. I mean, and I'll never again get to hear him say, "Khaleesi, <laughs> <laughs> the well, lamb man." <laughs> sorry. Yeah, he's not dead, so we can we can hope. We can hope. I live that dream. There's um have you ever seen there was a big running joke with Sajora about um like how he's constantly like wanting to say wanting to sort of tell Daenerys how he feels but doesn't quite pluck up the courage. And there was a great um there's a great sort of meme of him like in this scene and it's a close up of him and uh it's in his head, it's like you've just oh god, you've just told her pretend it's a joke, pretend it's a joke <laughs> <laughs> I was just kidding, you know, just, haha, wouldn't it be funny if I said that for real, though? Uh, how, path- how pathetic. Uh, 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 uh. 
Yeah. I also liked in this in the second watch, um, I noticed the like two second cutaway just to Dario who's just standing there looking vaguely awkward. Just yeah, like, wasn't it great when they did that? Just should I will I go because I feel this is I hadn't realised there was this history actually. So um I mean and I've been taking the piss the whole time, mate. I'm so sorry, but I I'd probably better Yeah. <laughs> See you later. Do you know, um, after every episode, Reddit do a poll, like a series of like polls from the from the viewers who are on Reddit. And one of them's always, um, who was the best actor this week? Who was the best character? Yeah. And 0.4% put Dario. And I just thought, <laughs> for those two seconds. Yeah, exactly. Because he's got nothing else to do, has he? That's his only appearance in the entire episode. It's just to be like, awkward. <laughs> yeah. But he owned that awkward moment. I'll give him that. <laughs> he did. What a pro. What a pro. Um, we then move into Marine, uh, Tyrion and Varys again. And uh, Tyrion is bringing in um, Red Woman Public Relations to, uh, <laughs> to help out. Now, I think you should really consider how Red Woman Public Relations ended up with Stannis. Um, and how I was going to say... Leaving. Half his army leaving and him killing his own daughter convinced that it was the right thing to do. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. this. I mean, I think from Tyrion's point of view, he's already been aware of all these red priests and red priestesses in the city um, sort of preaching. And he's going to try and use this to his advantage. To be honest, there's, there's also, a, I suppose, an echo here to what Cersei tried to do with the faith militant. Um, oh, always, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, always a dangerous game. Um, trying to dabble with uh, religious fanaticism to sort of yeah, as, as a way of getting where you want to get. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm interested to see how this plays out now because I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, you know, they're they're very, very, very mysterious uh, yeah. and very hard to predict. Particularly since it all seems to really revolve around the individual charisma of each individual red priest or priestess. Yeah, you know, and so I love the fact that we now have how many different people have we had saying red priests or priestesses saying with absolute certainty he is Azora High Reborn. <laughs> Are we on fight four now? Is it? Yeah, new yeah. Azora High Reborns. Yeah, that has it does feel like it's almost becoming just something that they say every single. Yeah. It's like like that thing at the wall, isn't it? Before John gets killed at the end of um, A Dance with Dragons, where there's a... Is that a red priest? He's there as well. And just like they're having this big, long political conversation. And in a lull in the conversation, he's pissed. And he just goes, (laughs) should we we pray? Uh, (laughs) No, no, he's he's a septon. He's the drunk Oh, right. Okay, right. Fair enough. For God's sake, let us... Let us... Sit and and play and think melancholy thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I thought the key difference here um, in sort of uh, obviously the the red priestess says you know we we both have the same goal here, but um, I thought the key thing beneath all that is Tyrion wants power just to put Daenerys on the throne uh, and hopefully kill as few people as possible. And the thing that's really firing up this Red Priestess is the idea of the dragons purifying so many people in fire. 
Um, so, <laughs> I, yeah. I really, really loved this moment. This like continuing kind of bromance thing with, uh, with Tyrion and Varys. Yeah. Where, because you've been in that situation, haven't you? If you're like kind of you're like out, like out with a particular friend, there's a wingman situation going on, <laughs> and you're kind of one of you's talking away, and you sort of rely on a sort of telepathy, and then then your mate just goes off on one, and it's just and you're just like, I'm not certain I'm nodding along with this at this point. To be honest with you, I think yeah. I think perhaps you have taken a rhetorical swing too far here, <laughs> <laughs> and that's absolutely yeah. what happens with um, with Tyrion and this guy. But at the same time, like um, Varys has got a very good point, yeah, um, and you know. Varys's point is unanswered. Yeah, well, uh-huh. Varys, is, Varys is kind of like the guy who grew up in um, like some massively repressive, um, extreme religious group, and then left and now hates religion. Yeah, and he, especially sort of the magical stuff around it, and uh, yeah, this stuff about. The stuff where he sort of goes along straight down the line of the almost sort of rational argument of, you know, you're, almost sort of like you said, Dave, you're constantly saying these different people are Azora High. You're never wrong, Gaia, because that's what fanaticism's all about. You can never admit a mistake. Yeah. And she comes back with this stuff about, you know, I know that you know you heard that voice from the fire when you're sort of, when you when you sort of, when you were castrated and they were burning your penis. Yeah. Uh, and you can't deny sort of what happened there, and, and yeah. you can see that sort of really hits Varys because it's like shit. Yeah, that, it's, that, you know it, that did happen. <laughs> yeah, and that's the first time we've seen Varys wrong-footed, isn't it? Yeah, the yeah. first time in a scene ever we've seen Varys be like, "What the hell do I do here?" And I was a bit sad about that actually because I quite wanted Varys here to be like because he's such an emotionally insulated character. The rest of the time, I kind of wanted him to be in this moment like, "Oh." know about that do you cool mm. more trickery <laughs> i see you know and just just absolutely like um uh puddle glum the marsh wiggle in um uh <laughs> i know i know in um in the, the silver chair it's in the silver have you not read the all of the narnia books <laughs> no. you're missing out mate it's got characters called puddle glum and races <laughs> called marsh wiggles by the way. That's amazing. He's great. No, he's a fantastic character as well because he just takes no shit. Like, he's constitutionally incapable of taking any nonsense. Yeah. And there's there's a very similar character to this sort of red, you know, high priestess in in The Silver Chair who's just got absolutely everybody dancing to a tune and he's like, what? No, bollocks. And I I sort of wanted Varys to do that here, but he didn't. And, you know, that's an interesting point for Varys' character's development and so on. Um, Mm. But it was yet another one of like, oh, we're back on these red priestesses just knowing everything and freaking everybody out, are we? Cool. Yeah. Something else about this red priestess. She's a good-looking woman. But, 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 did you notice she's got one of those necklaces on as well? Uh... So I do wonder if you woke up in the morning next to her... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what you would find sharing your bed i um, i do i do not wonder about that actually i had not given that a single moment's thought because <laughs> i you're clearly far more on the prowl watching this tv series <laughs> <laughs> well i was just thinking though i mean there is a a broader point here do you reckon the all the sort of red priestesses are like they're all sort of really ancient um yeah like, that would be interesting just, wouldn't it yeah maybe that's well, sort of part of the whole story here well i would like to see if i mean i doubt we're ever going to see thoros of mir again but if we did 
um, if we were going to see if he had a similar jewel around his neck somehow. Yeah, um, I don't think he did. From what I, I don't know for sure because I didn't. Yeah, watch but he was all dressed up as a sort of you know yeah. as a sort of sword swingy fighty kind of sweary version of the Robin Hood. So like. Yeah. So he could have had something nestled in there, couldn't he? Could have been Medallion Man, have his yeah. swashbuckling <laughs> shirt unbuttoned to the waist, his hairy chest, hairy chest, and then just a red thing nestled in amongst the hair. And then whenever he takes the takes the thing off, he mm. turns into a sixty-eight thousand-year-old man. Yeah, um, that's yeah. funny, isn't it? Because Thoros is so different to these red priestesses. Yeah. Because he obviously didn't have the sort of fanaticism. To be honest, he barely believed his religion by the end of it until. Yeah. He brought till this um, stuff sort of happened. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, although I mean, there is something to be said, isn't there, for the fact that they both, the, as priestesses and as priests in the red religion, they kind of epitomise certain extremely reductive and insulting ideas of what each gender is about, right? Mm. Like, so the women are just kind of mysterious and sultry and sexy and manipulative and not to be trusted, but you'll probably go along with them anyway. Um, and Thoros is hairy, sweaty, boozy, belchy, barely <laughs> believes anything at all, total fucknut, basically. And it's like, it is a little bit like hanging out with a religion that's made up out of like seaside postcard levels of like, or like <laughs> cheap, cheap comedian levels of gender stereotyping. Like, you know, women be all like this and men be all like this, but then turn it into a religion. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's a quite a good reading of it. <laughs> um, no, absolutely. Um, we, we we move on to back with Bran. Bran's going solo. Um, <laughs> what so, could possibly go wrong? Yeah. So basically, briefly, Bran goes walking solo. Ends up surrounded by these whites as a wander through them, thinking, "Yeah, no one can see me." Bumps into the bumps into That's the a- night. <laughs> <laughs> bumps into the night king. The night king touches him, and this now means that the night king and the whites can get into um, this whatever charms have worked around um, where Bran and the ra- the three eyed raven are. They've mm. now worn off because it's been touched. Um, the raven's got to take some responsibility here for this, hasn't he? In terms of his yeah. communication. Instead yeah. of saying to Bran, don't go out alone walking, you might get lost. He could have yeah. said something like, don't go walking alone, you might bump into the Night King and wind up getting us all killed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because he knows instantly, doesn't he? Like, Bran <laughs> comes back and goes, what's happened? And, I mean, like, you know, he's a pro, absolutely a pro. Max von Sydow has to do like in 30 seconds all of the plot exposition to explain what the hell is going on now we're in this weird parallel universe of <laughs> green seeing and being green seen it would seem um yeah i and yeah that is that is a fantastic argument against education as mystery you know just just sit him down at the beginning just have an orientation session hey just like you know hello welcome to the uh our organization here (laughs) and underneath the tangled roots green seers inc um, uh, the coffee machines are in the corner over there. Uh, do as many photocopies as you like, and for fuck's sake, don't go green seeing by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's um, this is. It did feel a little sort of flimsy. The whole sort of he's been, he's you've been touched now. They can get in, uh, sort of thing because there's, because there's been no background to it. It did feel a little bit like the gears are grinding a bit here. Like Martin's thought. 
right, these these guys are too safe here. How on earth am I going to get them to move? Okay, maybe if Brian gets touched, then everyone can come inside for reasons. <laughs> <laughs> they could, I'd, I'd love it if if um, if Bran had gone, he touched me! And Von Sido went, yes, that means he can get inside. And Bran just went, what? How? In what sense? How does this magic work? I've no time to explain. Bollocks, you haven't got time to explain. Explain it to me right this instant. How does him touching me in a dream mean that he can walk into my house without so much as a buy your leave? <laughs> I thought you were going to say then, when Bran said, he touched me. And, uh, <laughs> and the raven said, where did he touch you? She'll be oh. on this wayward doll. <laughs> oh, a new low. A new low, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> oh, dear. So, yeah, so basically they've got to pack up and, and leave now before, before the Night King gets there, before the Whites and the White Walkers and all that bad stuff arrives. Um, we then switch south of the wall to John. He's putting a plan together to take back Winterfell and he realises they don't have the men at the moment, even with the wildlings. They need more northern houses to join them. The Mandalis keep getting mentioned. Do you reckon they're ever going to show up? Because I really hope they do. They're one of my favourite houses. Um, I really hope they do because Wyman Mandalay was one of the few kind of shafts of light in, um, in the last book. Hmm. Where and there were certain points where he was literally just punking the Boltons, wasn't he? Like yeah. where he was like, you know, somebody was like, "Have at thee, sir," and he's all going like, "Oh, what? Sorry, did I say something about your mum? <laughs> what your mum? Did I say your mum? Sorry, look, I said it again. Your mum, you know, like just really, really infantile. But that's exactly the sort of like cheeky bollocks that I want. I want the Boltons to be given at this point. So I hope we see him. I don't know whether we will though. Well. um this discussion about who they got apparently the Mandalays have thrown in with the Boltons already here, along with as we've seen the Karstarks and the Umbers, and they're the three biggest houses. Um, Sansa's very sort of confident that more northern houses will come back once they see that there's a Stark around. Um, the Umbers are probably the case for the prosecution against that. <laughs> they just gave they up really are, aren't they? Like, I think bring, making it the Umbers who did that was a really bad move on their part. As far as I can tell at this point, I don't know how it's going to... If it's going to make sense at the end of the series, then cool. But right now I'm like, oh, come on, there are loads of houses in the North you could have had do that. The Mandalays, for a start, actually in the book, do go along with you. So what the hell? Yeah. Yeah, Davos... Um, is basically the pragmatic um, sort of other side of the Sansa argument here. He's saying, you know, look what's happened with these other houses. Yep, the Northmen, I'm sure they're really loyal normally, but when it comes down to it, if it's about protecting your you know, family yeah. from getting flayed, they'll probably just throw in with whoever. Um, that's that's fair. And of course, coming from um, Sir Davos, I like, yeah, absolutely. I, you're right there, Sir Davos. Good wisdom. Mm. It's the Sunderland accent. It is. It's <laughs> just he comes out with it in that very sort of softly spoken kind of like, well, I've been around and I'll tell you. And you're like, right, fair <laughs> enough. Okay, good. Nice one, Sir Davos. Cheers. Uh, now, as you said before, Sansa doesn't give up sort of where this information about the Blackfish has come from. She says she like intercepted a raven over in Winterfell. And she sends Brienne down to link up with uh, with the Blackfish. <laughs> um, this is in, this is interesting. It feels like it's going to be a key sort of moment in this series. And I wonder, I wonder what's I could I can't decide 
whether a this stuff is legit and the blackfish really is just waiting to join up and b quite why sansa needs to i suppose the reason sansa doesn't say where she got it from is it's about sort of i don't know her own sort of power and stuff as well and how she doesn't i think if she says this has come from littlefinger someone's going to say oh that's probably bollocks and then she gets sidelined again so Mm. she's basically giving it her backing completely by taking ownership of it and saying it's my information this I, st- I think it's a bad move on her part, though. You know, like, yeah. I th- I think it's a. I think it's instinctive. I think it's part of the Stockholm syndrome of a relationship with Baelish, where he's mm. so far in her head that she just instinctively lies to protect him, and that's what that's why it's dangerous to me. Because I don't mm. think she's doing it strategically. I think she's doing it as a flashback to her previous dependency on the bloke. Mm. Um, which is a really weird thing to do, given that she was about ready to kill him in mm. the last scene. Um, but maybe it's really, maybe that is realistic. You know, you do have these quite complicated, you know, the whole point of Stockholm Syndrome is it's a very complicated emotional relationship in which, you know, guilt and responsibility don't quite look the way, you know, logically or in a healthy relationship you would hope they would. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I think it's a stupid thing to do, <laughs> but perhaps it's a realistic thing for her to do. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't. I don't believe Baelish for a second. Like so, at this point, I was just like, "Why are you sending her out?" What? Oh, <laughs> okay, all right, fine. See you in two series time. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So Rian's off before she leaves. Uh, Hang on, t- though. Hang yeah. on. Idea. I I flip in dear Matt. This is oh. where they get Lady Stoneheart in. Prediction. Mm-hmm. Mark it now. Okay. Lady Stoneheart will appear by the end of the series because this is how you get Brienne off on her next massive journey which ends up with her being captured by Lady Stoneheart's peeps and <laughs> and linking back up with her. Eh? Isn't it a long time for Caitlin Stark to be away and off screen for us to come back in sort of three seasons yeah, but, after she was killed? Uh, it yeah, could happen, you're right. But why else would you bother? Time. I mean, well, we, we were without Bran for better part of two series, weren't we? Mm, um, yeah, Rickon for longer series. than that. Yeah, Rickon, yeah. <laughs> um... Although he's not really back, is he? He's just turned up and we've all gone, oh, yeah, right, he's gone through puberty as well then, has he? That's what he looks like now. Great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, um, yeah, I I don't know. I I think that could happen because otherwise, I mean, I feel like George Martin has put, kept Catelyn Stark alive for a reason. Like, she's too good a character just to have killed off, right? So... (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I think I think I'm still betting that Lady Stoneheart's going to be of significance to the overall the outplaying of the plot, mm. and therefore she's going to need to make contact with somebody. And if you're going to stay close to the books, that somebody's going to be um, uh, going to be Brienne. So, uh, yeah. but you know, who can say? I like the idea of um, just thinking. You thought Rickon has changed over a couple of seasons. Wait till you see the walking, talking corpse of Caitlin Stark. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to. Well, if there's anybody you'd back, though, to act to somehow emote whilst also being a zombie, it mm. would be it would be Michelle Ferry, wouldn't it? Like, you'd be <laughs> like, I reckon you could pull that off. Not many people could, but I reckon she could. Yeah, so, so Brienne heads off towards Brendan, Bride and Blackfish, Maybe she's going to bump into a certain undead friend along the way. Um, before she leaves, 
uh, Tormund's continued courting of Brienne from his sexy chicken eating last week goes up a notch as he does the weirdest little smile to her before she leaves. Did you see this? Yeah. Oh, it was glorious. It was completely (laughs) magnificent. Just the sort of... Because he's... I love that they directed him to act this way as well. He doesn't act in this situation like the caveman, oh, you woman, me man, you know, kind of... He doesn't act haughty. He doesn't kind of preen and kind of stick his chest out and like, yeah, you want a piece of this. Like... Like he, he he's he's like he's completely incapable of responding, controlling his facial expressions. He's a thirteen-year-old boy who is in love with his babysitter. Basically, is the look on his face there? He's the kind of like girl, <laughs> and that's so awesome because if he tried to be courtly, she would be like, "Well, actually, as it happens, I've been the king. Of, I've been the king's guard for." King Renly Baratheon and but because he goes straight to the kind of like hello I like you you know <laughs> it's great <laughs> uh, John and the Wildlings are heading off on basically like a a tour of the smaller houses to try and drum up support for this battle leaving Dolores Ed and the collection of extras to defend the wall <laughs> The Night's Watch is in a pretty ropey state now. I was going to say that. It's, it, it doesn't look great for the Night's Watch, does it? You can almost imagine them sort of turning around after he's left the courtyard and going, we got any principal cast members here anymore? <laughs> no? Bollocks. We'll never, we'll never be seen again. <laughs> yeah. There's just this, like, cough in the background. This bloke is like, um, I was in the background in one of the scenes. Oh, jeez. That's the best <laughs> we've got, is it? <laughs> Anybody had a speaking role at all? <laughs> no? Really? None? Yeah. Shit! Yeah. I, I can't do this by myself. I'm only that bloke from that sketch comedy show in the UK. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know if we're going to see Dolores said again this season, but, I mean, he is basically it up at the wall now, isn't he? <laughs> um, yeah. So I wonder if we'll go up there again. Um, next up, oh, here we go. Right, strap yourself in. Uh, the moment where I realised... Hodder, I mean, you, you've said that when people started saying Hodder online, you knew it was over. The moment yeah. I knew it was over for him was when, damn it, Mira, she mentions eggs and bacon and his face <laughs> lights up and he's dreaming <laughs> of that bacon. <laughs> it's his version of the one one day from retirement, isn't it? It is. <laughs> it's a one day from a bacon sandwich. And I have to tell you, I'm, I'm with him on that. Somebody offered me a bacon sandwich after six months in the frozen north. I'd be like, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, get me out of here. <laughs> Yeah, so they're talking breakfast, and then Mira's um, breath starts to... You start to see her breath, and that's when she realises that the walkers are already here. She runs out into the into the sort of front, and it's basically a shit ton of whites and a few white walkers as well making the way towards them. And you have the this sort of defence at the front gate where uh, a few of the... They're right, four or five are children of the forest, aren't they, throwing these fireballs... And yeah. lighting up this sort of defensive barrier, which it turns out the the walkers, the it's, white walkers, it's meaningless. Walkers. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, oh yeah, shit. Yeah. Um, so so then we get into this desperate struggle and, and f- escape from under the weirwood tree. Um, all the time, Bran's actually being walked. Is is Green seeing in that yard again at Winterfell as his dad's yeah. leaving for the Eyrie? Um, and this is apparently this is his sort of final lesson, isn't it? Um, which he's going to get. 
and uh, how do we? I mean, it's a real, it's really sort of cut together quite chaotically. This isn't it, but basically, you have a series of major cast members. Well, not I suppose I wouldn't say major characters, but sort of second tier characters die. So you've got um, all those various children of the forest getting killed, which is it's kind of hard to watch because they still like look like little kids, don't they? Or like at least like yeah. small, slight people. They yeah. they all get killed like one after the other. Like it's almost like a classic, um, you know, like alien or something, where each one's got their own little thing. Like one's the bow and arrow, one one's the spear, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and they all get killed. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, it's some um, it's XCOM, isn't it? It's, <laughs> yeah, it's, they, yeah, it's they've XCOM. each got their own little skill, and then one of them gets killed, and you're like, oh, I'm not going to pass this mission. It's not <laughs> yeah. going to happen. Yeah, abort. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. Oh, Summer gets killed, which he just—it's been a—it's been a bad few weeks for the direwolves, hasn't it? Oh he, yeah. Um, he gets—he sort of just gets ripped apart by all these um, zombie, uh, all these whites. Uh, the three-eyed raven gets blown away. It turns into this like uh, sort of just bits of black, doesn't it? And floats off because he's because yeah. he's in the sort of green seeing world when he dies. Yeah. Uh, Leaf, the the one named children of the forest character blows herself up to buy them yeah. more time and finally we're at this point where they, they get out of the they get out and there's this door that they run through and Hodor has to hold it shut while um, Bran and Mira escape and this is where we almost gets into sort of a Bran does almost like a two way walking doesn't he it's kind of part in Hodor in the past part yeah. in Hodor in the present and obviously part in himself as well um, and as Hodor's holding the door, um, and so they can escape, he's uh, having this fit in the yard as a boy, and sh- and screaming, called the door, which Mira's shouting at him, which eventually yeah. sort of slows down and turns into Hodor. Yeah. So the reason this guy has only been able to say say Hodor for like however many like twenty five years or whatever is because he literally f- sort of was ripped apart by. Sort of yeah. monsters when he was a child. Jeez, yeah. yeah, it's intense, isn't it? Oh yeah, brilliantly done. And it was again. It was like oh yeah, I agree. Up. I yeah yeah I agree. Like I mean I, as I say, this was spoiled for me um, before I got to it. Um, mm. Like in between the hold the door gags and the something sad happened on um, on Game of Thrones, and then somebody yeah. mocked up an IKEA thing, a door wedge with. <laughs> called Hodor right so fair enough fair enough um that's funny but I did get a bit pissed about it because I was like honestly you know literally only you in the world has watched this thanks for posting it in public to know what the plot was but um even given that it was very powerful and I think that that's why that's why it's so impressive to me is that it was still quite affecting even though I knew it was going to happen and yeah. even though the execution of it is incredibly unclear. So, it's, I mean, it's almost like Inception, isn't it? Inception, where you have a scene once every 15 minutes where somebody goes, hang on, whose subconscious are we in? Yeah. It's like that, only there isn't that. It's achieved completely through editing and cuts. Mm. And amazing, just brilliant stuff. Because, you know, he's, brands awake and not awake, and voices are traveling into the past, but they're also in the present. And his consciousness is in his body, but also in his in the past and also in Hoddle's body in two different time zones and it's like all of that should be too complicated if I can't say it in a single sentence with only two clauses in it then it's too complicated (laughs) but they managed to pull it off 
Um, yeah. And it was really, really affecting. And, and, what, and of course, what it adds up to is that it's all of this, it's quite... You know, you know, it's all built up and it's you know quite intricately structured and stuff. But at the end of the day, what it is is that this guy's whole life has been defined by this thing that he has been told to do at some point in his future. His mm. whole life has been defined by this call to die, mm. and that's amazing. Like that's 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 just in, that's poetically incredible. Mm. Really, really, really well structured. And and I tell you, there's something else in it. There's a really emotional piece in it as well. Not just oh he died, um, which you know is part of the course in in a song of ice and fire, so you don't really feel it. Um, but it's the fact that at a certain point I, he's choosing to, like, mm. or he he does he does hold the door, mm. um, and knowing somehow on some level somehow that. You know that this is this is you know the the phrase "hold the door" is so closely associated with trauma for him, mm. um, but he does it, and he's choosing in that moment to do it. I think I think he's really really powerful. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it made me realise just how much he could sort of care about a um, well, still essentially a minor character as well, but he just yeah. this just this sort of pleasant, sort of simple-minded guy who's been knocking about for six seasons now and it was yeah it was hard to see him killed wasn't it it was it was very 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 much was oh, and I'll say this as well actually I think we're completely justified here now that we know the origin of the phrase Hodor can mm. I say we are right and they are wrong in calling him Hodor <laughs> who do you yeah. know honestly who do you know from the north or the south anywhere in the UK whatever the accent is it's the southwest I suppose isn't it where you say hold nobody <laughs> says hold the queen doesn't say hold they say hold Oh, oh, is the vowel sound Hodor. there? So his name's Hodor. Hodor? No, no, no. You were just wrong. Speaking of that, of the um, this made me think watching it. Um, how weird! How how weird it's going to be if you're watching it in a different language. Like so, yeah. I mean, like <laughs> Fermilaport, Fermilaport. Exactly. Has he been exactly. called Fermiport all the way through? Exactly. So, well, so like I don't know. I, it's the Portuguese would be uh, Segura Porta. So he's going to be going. So little kid's going to be going, Segura Porta, Segura Porta, Segura, Seg. Hodor. That's like, really what? funny. <laughs> what? Why is he called. Oh, oh for everybody in, in, in Portugal and France and everywhere else hearing me, sorry. That, that must suck. Yeah, we're like, oh, okay. Then he said, "Hold on, all right, well." Yeah, on. okay, I guess, I guess, or 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 this would be where it's genius if somebody manages to come up with another phrase. So instead of saying "hold the door," it'll be you know whatever the two words that sound most like "hot" and "door" are in Portuguese, and then relating it to a situation where you're being chased down a corridor by an endless, ineluctable wave of zombies who are trying to claw your eyes out, and just making it somehow appropriate to the situation, like you know, kind of like uh, mind the light. Mind the light! Mind the light! <laughs> Odor! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, anyway, yeah. But what a what a way to go for poor for poor Hodor. Poor bastard. And, um, and yeah, and that's that gone, gone mm. but not forgotten. And uh, and that ends the that obviously ends the episode for this week. Uh, good episode overall. I thought it was a slam bam great episode again. Yeah, 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 great. And I, I think that the real, I mean, for all that the, you know, obviously the headline-grabbing drama is is the death of Hodor, 
um, actually, I think the origin of the the origin of the White Walkers that's huge for me. Like, because yeah. I live for this big meta plot thing. You know, I don't care about the subplots. Um, <laughs> Uh, as we, I've tried, um, but as we've discovered, you know, like I'm just more interested in that. So knowing where they come from and knowing that it's so thematically kind of dense, mm. you know, they're, they're a, a super weapon gone amok, basically. Mm. Fantastic. You know, so what we have basically here actually is the the super weapon made out of ice and the super weapon made out of fire here. And mm. I wonder if that means the arc is going to be about human beings, you know, responding to the need to be humane instead of looking for the bigger, more effective way of killing people. Mm, yeah. Um, you know, I, I wonder if that if that's what it's going to become, is these kind of, you know, in a sense, each side fighting against their own weapons, mm. um, as well as fighting and, and, and finding a common cause in that. I think that would be very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, we're going to move on to a couple of fan theories now. I do think we're still sort of feeling our way into this sort of way of doing the podcast because we're sort of we we normally just do a book chapters and then feedback um i think probably what best the best thing we do now is just to separate book and show watchers from people who want to um discuss some broader theories that don't have any that could be spoilers but we don't really know about if we stick a little bit of music in here just to separate the two all right um so if we hit the if you if you want to sort of if you just want to hear about the series and the, in relation to the books and you're not interested in sort of further theories that may or may not be true and may spoil stuff for the future, then stop listening here and we'll we'll see you next week. Otherwise, listen after the outro music, and we'll be back with a feedback because this all sort of wraps up in this in these uh, theories, and b Matt's bunker full of spoilers. Hey, so, yes. So if you want to, if you want to skip that, we'll see you next week. And if you want to continue, we'll see you after the music inside the bunker full of spoilers. Yes. <laughs> so excited about this, I really am. Greetings, traveller. <laughs> Welcome. Please come inside. Don't be shy. To Matt's bunker full of spoilers. <laughs> That's a door, by the way. <laughs> Opening. Has that given it the appropriate build-up? That is. I. I. I'm really hoping that you can live up to this intro now, like because I've been waiting for this for a long time, and you've just oh. gone over the. You put the icing on it with that. So, <laughs> well, obviously, last week we did. The big fan theory, which is this R plus L equals J. Um, so that one's been taken down off the top shelf now. But I, I've got rows of shelves here <laughs> with various interesting spoiler theories. And on each one, there's a label. Um, and you can choose which one you want to discuss, Dave. All right, okay. Yeah. Shall I just yeah. give you a rundown of the labels first? Yes. Okay. And don't go sort of finding out more about these in the meantime. But we have Jojen Paste. <laughs> is, is it going uphill from here, Matt? Because I can't see how it could possibly Listen, possibly be better. The, the Rat King. Horny Tywin. <laughs> <laughs> so, hang, on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Jojen Paste. 
The Rat King, yeah. Horny Tywin. Yeah. Sons of the ID. Hmm. Sons of the ID. <laughs> um, you may recognise a couple of these, actually. Uh, the Roos is Loose. Clegane <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bowl. Cl- uh, <laughs> yeah, seriously. All right. Cool, cool Benjamin. Cool Benjamin. <laughs> I assume this is your personal favourite. Varys is a mermaid. Yeah! <laughs> Varys is a mermaid, forsooth. I've got two others. All right. Who who are you? Uh. <laughs> and riding the dragon. So. <laughs> taking a left turn into a, a gritty tale of smack addiction there, perhaps. <laughs> oh, he's been riding the dragon. He's been riding the dragon all night. Um, now we've got two bits of feedback, and um, one of them relates to. Uh, well, actually, one of them's another theory, actually, which we'll talk about, and and the second one relates to Horny Tywin. So, um, <clears throat> um, <laughs> all right. Um, Given the choice, which of those do you want to discuss? Uh, Oh, that's really interesting, actually, because this is a really interesting little, like, index, like a kind of say the first word that comes into your mind if you're asking me, like, which bits of the story are most interesting to me. And I have to say, actually, um, I am interested in um, uh, Roos Loose about this hoose or whatever it is. (laughs) Um, I'm intrigued by that. I think Jojen Pace sounds quite interesting. And um, I also think that... um, I want to hear more about Varys is a mermaid because this has become <laughs> such a catchphrase for how stupid fan theories can be that I sort of want to make sure I've given it a fair crack of the whip before I carry on saying Varys is a mermaid in that particular tone of voice. Yeah. Okay, well, let's do the feedback first and then you'll probably get one one pick. Oh, um, okay. Because we've got this week, because we've got two, all right, two all to right. discuss from the feedback. So... Yeah, okay. um. Firstly, with the, th- with the feedback, let's go um, to Max, a friend of the podcast, Max. Now, Max wants to talk about serial... This is the other one that I didn't actually give a title to, but it's, I suppose, um, it's around Sirio Ferrell. Really? Uh, yeah, so this... The teacher, the dancing master teacher who um, tried to... Well, obviously gave Arya her first lessons in, in, in becoming a swordsman in the, at the start in book one... And he ended up being killed defending her as she ran away, sort of when it was all kicking off in King's Landing. Now, the uh, theory goes, maybe Sirio didn't die because he died off screen and we don't know for sure. Yeah. This, is, this has been doing the rounds quite a lot on, um, on social media. So Max has given us a, his own sort of take on this theory. I'll, I'll give you the highlights of it. Okay. Um, so Max says... Um, I feel like there's a big part for the Bravosi to play in coming books, um, especially if you believe the theory that Jaken Hagar was the alchemist who'd taken over the identity of Pate in Feast for Crows. Shall we just unpack that a little bit? So, um, <sighs> Okay. Do, do, you remember, do you remember that yeah. Pate guy who was I, in like I the, do. The, the start and the end of Feast for Crows? Yeah, the, in I, a kind yeah. of not terribly clear timeline situation, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the idea is, at the end of the of the prologue, Pate appears to die, and at, and at the epilogue, he appears to be alive again when he meets Sam. And the idea is that he's actually 
Jake and Hagano who's taken his face. Um, so yeah, actually, there's there's something in that. Is the way he dies is a little bit faceless god-y. Mm. You know. Mm. So if if we roll it up back to the start now, um, Mark says so. Jon Snow commissions a sword for his sister in Winterfell from Micken. Micken produces a bravosi sword pattern, ostensibly to suit her size, but perhaps to ensure she will be trained by a bravosi swordmaster. So I assume he's he's suggesting that Micken's in on this whole bravos thing as well. Enter right. Sirio Farrell. That's in, a bit more of a stretch. It does Sorry. feel like it to me, yeah. Enter Sirio Farrell, who indoctrinates her into the ways of philosophy of bravos through arcane training practices not too dissimilar to the stuff that she does with the faceless men so she's like chasing cats around the castle and balancing on weird things and stuff yeah um the shit is the fallen king's landing sirio intercedes maybe sirio isn't killed but is thrown into the black cells okay so he's just captured by okay then it stands to reason that jake and hagar is actually Sirio. Do you know, because Jaken's been taken up to the wall from the Black Cells. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that could work. So Sirio sort of changes his face back into Jake and Hagar. Yeah. And they're on the road together. Jaken gets freed by Arya, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. And then Jaken gives Arya that coin to set her on the path to the initiation and the faceless men and stuff. Possible? That is true. Yeah, that's true. No, I definitely see how those elements string together. I like it. Um, I think if that's what he was doing I think I would need a few more instances of and then this mysterious shadow that looked kind of like Sirio Florel poked his head out from behind a rock while Arya Stark went for a three novel long walk in Westeros <laughs> I would need a bit yeah. more of that because he can't possibly be sure and there aren't enough po- moments along that route well, maybe there are if there are then amazing but to me it looks like he, it looks a lot like he's just kind of set her off loose rather than making sure of it. It would be super cool if that was the case. I'll yeah. definitely say that, but I'm I'm at this point unconvinced. Something that ties this more closely together as well is the series, because obviously Jake and Hagar's actually literally in the Faceless Men doing doing the training with Arya um, again. Um, yeah. Whereas obviously in the books it's just some other chap and Jaken's disappeared somewhere. Um, yeah. But anyway, uh, Jaken then assumes the, an un- unknown identity, wanders off into the sunset. Um, a character physically resembling Jaken Hagar's last known description appears to kill Pate, which is true, yeah. uh, and assume his identity in Old Town. As a result, mm-hmm. this person gets access to Archmaester Walgrave, who's in charge of all the ravens that come and go from Old Town. So this gives the Faceless Men direct access to probably every communication of note in Westeros, as well as an initiate who's potentially a skin changer. At the same time, a representative from the Iron Bank shows up to get involved in the Game of Thrones and upset the current balance of power. Are the free cities making their move? Asks Max good theory that is a good theory oh i mean again i would i I mean we're building a lot off of this i think it's really interesting thread for me this whole idea of like all of this stuff going on in old town because old town is seems to be would logically be really crucial to the life political life of westeros and we spent almost no time there at all yeah um but because we spent almost no time there at all i don't see how that can be 
what's going on. Because, mm. I mean, really, if this came into the plot, it would be like, it would be like, remember all this stuff that I spent all these novels telling you about? Yeah, it's not that. Old Town. <laughs> Old Town's where it's at. Yeah. Old Town where it's at. If only I told you more about it. And what we have actually is two, two kind of semi-detached chapters in the whole thing. Yeah. So, oh, three, I think. Um, so, but again, I really want that to be true. <laughs> really. Because I think that would be great. And I think that's, that's some great political intrigue. You know, that's, you know, you create this pinch point of communications and power flows and so on. And yeah, it'd be fantastic. I also like the idea of the Iron Bank and um, and the Faceless Men all being very tied closely together in Bravos, and that that's added to by what we hear in this episode, where Jake and Hagar says the Faceless Men founded Bravos. You'd feel that if they did that, they probably have a close connection with this bank that was founded in Bravos as well. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, so that's the that's the broad sort of Jake and Hagar, Bravos, Sirio Florel sort of theory. Yeah, I like. I, I kind of like the idea that Sirio's not dead, but also, I thought his was one of the more sort of heroic and affecting deaths of the first book. Yeah, it was. It was a proper classical kind of. It was almost like um, uh, Inigo Montoya, wasn't it? It was yeah. like he turns around and faces him, and he's like, "Prepare to die." Yeah. Like it's really, really cool. Um, uh, in terms of he was true to his character, so if he didn't really die, you know that that moment means less, I suppose. But. Yeah, and, and it's yet another character resurrection as well, which I'm utterly sick to the back teeth of at the moment with Game of Thrones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's I like it when you let when you let your frustration out of the box a little bit because I spend my entire time like <laughs> ranting and raving, and you're very balanced about it. But I do sense you experience similar frustration to me at certain points. <laughs> Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, the next bit of feedback we've got is from Cam. Um, now, Cam's is very much, very much going over the theory that is um, that you will find in the horny Tywin box. So we just bring this down from the top shelf. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> it had to be that one, didn't it? Why did I bother going for any of the others? I knew what you were going to do. <laughs> Uh, so Cam says, a theory I'm particularly interested in is one I heard about Tyrion. Um, you guys probably have already heard it. I don't think Dave has yet, but he's about to. Um, yeah. It has to do with Tyrion's blood lineage. The theory is he may be part Targaryen, um, as he was touched by a stone man when he fell off the boat and it didn't seem to affect him. Interesting uh, thoughts. Yeah. yeah, you do need to explain that, actually, don't you? Because Jorah had a much more tangential connection with stone men and he ended up with an arm that looks like a pebble garden so yeah <laughs> cam says i like it as it was a change from the many theories about john's heritage yeah so um the the theory behind Tyrion is a targaryen i would like to get your thoughts on this so um there are some clues apparently in his appearance so in the book uh, you don't see this in the series but in the book he's written as having very fair hair almost sort of white, whereas everybody else's is golden. In a, oh, really? Monsters. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's got these strange mismatched eyes as well. I think one of them's purple, and mm-hmm. the um, Targaryens are known for having purple eyes, again, you yeah. know from the series. Yeah. Um, how it could happen, so the Mad King, Aerys, mm. um, as we know, was mental. Um, <laughs> but Inclusion the name. Yeah, but he was also strange, like, infatuated with Tywin's wife he really he really liked Tywin's wife and apparently he may have even gone so far as to 
have invoked this weird custom called Lord's Right, which is mentioned every so often in the books, and I think did actually exist in some oh, parts yeah. of the, the Droit de Seigneur. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. basically, on on sort of a uh, a lesser law or a sub lord's wedding night, the the lord, so the person above them could basically sleep with your wife. So if you're a lord, your sort of superior could sleep with your wife on the wedding. Nothing night. like that. that's that's some breathtakingly poor man management, isn't it? That's how you get everybody on side, isn't it? Tell you what, okay, we're all one team here. We're all one big team. Let's everybody get together. Now, okay, we're in the huddle. Let's stay in mind space. Let's work this problem. Let's work together. And by the way, I've slept with all of your wives. What do you mean you don't want to do what I'm telling you to do? What do you, team? Team? Yeah. I suppose it mustn't be the wedding night because Tyrion is the younger brother of Cersei and Jaime. He just gets to turn up once and he's like, kind of, right, got got my coin here. Yeah, one horrifying annulment of your uh, of your marriage to one another coming right up. So yeah, that's the idea. So this, uh, so Tyrion um, is actually the son of Aerys of the Mad King rather than Tywin. Bloody what hell. do you think? Well. Well, that would tie together if if the if the logic bringing this all together is, or almost all of our protagonists are in some sense heirs to the Targaryen throne, hmm. then that would make sense, wouldn't it? Um, and yeah, I think the strong the, the strongest thing there is um, there's definitely Dwight de Seigneur was definitely a thing. I think the purple the the hair and the purple eye thing definitely makes a lot of sense to me, um, and also the. Um, the fact, the biggest thing for me is that he got touched by a stone man and got away with it. Mm. Um, so, yeah, all of that is very compelling. Very, very compelling. Very interesting. Do, do you think Tywin knew? And that's why he hated him. And that's why he hated him, yeah. Yeah, that would make a lot of sense, wouldn't it? A although, lot of sense, actually. Although if Tywin knew he wasn't family, I don't know why he didn't have yeah. killed. Yeah, actually, I mean, that is true, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, maybe because he knew how it'd look. Yeah, but he doesn't really seem to give the tiniest shit how things look, does he? It matters mm. how much it brings or takes away power from him. So perhaps actually that's the thing. Yeah, mm. like if he's if, if he was clearly cuckolded by his king, that mm. makes him look less imposing. Yeah, and his whole thing is about being in power. So yeah, yeah, I yeah. I so- kind of I have to put up with you, you literal bastard. So. And I have to pretend that you're mine, and you killed my wife. Yeah, so I think it's similar to. Um, I think I think Tywin knew that Jamie and Cersei are getting it on as well, but yeah. he can't. You know, again, he's just he can't show he knows. Yeah, just, but you just, would think at that point, wouldn't you, that he sort of it would have a, a moment of a moment a dark night of the soul where he's like, "I'm a really terrible parent. Look at what I've done." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> not a winner amongst disappointed them. by his kids yeah <laughs> yeah <clears throat> so yeah but that's an interesting theory isn't it that leads on to some other theories that we may talk about in the future oh well we will do but not not now I think uh, that'll do for Tyrion for now um, shall we do one more do you want to pick one uh, yeah okay um well, shall, shall we do Varys as a mermaid? Do you want to save that for another time? Or <laughs> I'm just I'm, I, I'm really now a bit nervous that I've been ragging on it for all this time, and it turns out that it's actually very well justified. I can't for the life of me imagine fucking how. But let's let's get it out of the way because I've been talking about it for so long. This has been I trailed knew. for fifty something episodes of, of our Game of Thrones coverage. I knew you could not resist. <laughs> it's true. It's true. God help me. It's true. Let me bring it up. Okay. 
So, Varys is a secretly a mermaid, is the theory. It's <laughs> the theory. So, uh, let me take it through, one step by step. So, right. when Arya is stalking Varys and Illyria at the start, she hears water dripping in the distance. Next scene... Um, it, <laughs> no, come on. Wait, really? Wait, it gets better. So, Illyria right. and Varys then come up from what's described as a vast well that goes down out of sight. Varys Meaning a large... Cylindrical area underground, yeah. not necessarily. Uh, okay, right, fine, fine. Yeah. Now, Varys and Ilria are both noted for their abnormally large size, which is also, but whilst also being incredibly light on their feet, this suggests <laughs> abnormal strength. It does, and also, I hadn't, I'd missed the bit where mermaids were good at ballet dancing <laughs> because using the using the fishy ends of their tails. Varys is noted to have a pe- peculiar slimy smile this could be interpreted to mean he does not show his teeth and that could be because he has very abnormal teeth mermaidian teeth maybe since when were mermaids known for having terrible teeth (laughs) see well this is weak matt this is this this has been built up but this is weak (laughs) keep it coming when Tyrion threatens to throw Varys overboard Varys says he'd be surprised at the result Maybe he's speaking literally rather than figuratively. (laughs) That's true, although that is also an argument for it turns out Varys is made completely out of sodium and he would just fizz around on the water like a high school science project. (laughs) Okay, there's more. You know, how long can you resist the theory? All right, Um, let's see, let's see. It could be Varys is the Wicked Witch of the West, eh? He jumps (laughs) over. You might be surprised at the result. I would melt instantly. (laughs) There is noted to be no bed in Varys' quarters. This is true. If he's a mermaid, he would likely sleep at sea, like most fish, or perhaps not at all. I like, I like, like, like most fish, which fish like don't my, sleep in the Which sea. fish don't sleep at sea? The fish that come back in off... The lungfish, actually, is just looking for a place to have a kip. It just hates feeling damp while it sleeps. Yeah. And that's how, that's how evolution got started, from, uh, from waterborne animals to... <laughs> to landwalkers um well i think it would be more compelling again it would be more compelling if he doesn't have a bed in his room that's interesting um if instead of a bed he had a surprisingly large and well-appointed bathtub that would be he's a mermaid i think <laughs> um yeah uh and both associate humans with birds naturally as they're seen as a lower species to them explains why they consider themselves above humans because they're mermaids or mermen. I think it's supposed to be mermen, actually. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But it's not mermen as funny. Varys is a mermaid. Varys <laughs> is a mermaid. But, um, this, this theory extends to Littlefinger as well. Apparently he's a mermaid as well. Um, because he comes from a seafaring merchant family. He's an accomplished sailor. And he has a ship called the Merlin King. Oh, what? What? Hang on, Varys does. No, this is Littlefinger now. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, okay. Uh, all right. So, what's that got to do with Varys? Well, just there's going to be a connection between the two here. They're working together, apparently. I, yeah? But on the basis of this is conspiracy theory level. Flipping! This is brilliant. This is and what's what's the number of the beast? Six six six. How many times did I cough this morning after I woke up? Six. Coincidence? Yeah, yeah. So it's Varys is a mermaid. Littlefinger is king of the mermaids, 
And also, Samandam Moore, you know, the guy who tried to kill Tyrion. Yeah. The King's Guard. Apparently, he was a mermaid too because when thrown overboard, he didn't yeah. scream. Yeah. He was referred to as having dead eyes or fish eyes and no life but duty. Huh? Yeah, and mermaids are known for their extremely uh, extreme devotion to their vows they've made in pursuit. What? You're just making stuff up now. This is. Um, I love that somebody has, has codified all of this. Like, I feel, I feel like somebody, I feel like I'm standing at the crease hitting sixes back off of extremely easy bowling, and they just keep coming. <laughs> okay, some more then about Varys. There's more. More about where, the, more. where, where the balls are you finding this? <laughs> this is a, this is a thread on Reddit. So, um, Varys, when he's told about when he speaks about. Uh, cannibals and humans being eaten at one point yeah. he licks his lips now listen Brienne uh, later in the thing of Feast for Crows is told about squishes by one of her companions described as man-eating fish people that walk on two feet are you there yet man-eating fish people that walk on two feet Varys mermaid yeah. <laughs> Can we have Varys is a Grumpkin? Can we have that? Since this, they, they, they've been mentioned more times than these fishlings or slitherlings or whatever Fishling. they're called. Fishling. <laughs> um, okay, well, if, if all that hasn't got you, this next bit, surely. Okay. okay, all right, all right. If you were to give a baby the name Varys in our world today, it would mean the following. Vary, which means stream. And, or Varish, which means sleeping on the sea. Come on. In what language? You can't just say in our world today. <laughs> I don't what know is what language If we gave say. the child our language in our world today, out of the 200 and something thousand languages that exist in the world, in one of them, it would sound a bit like the word for fish. Coincidence? <laughs> um, and what, okay, Varish's most famous quote. The storms come and go, the waves crash overhead, the big fish eat the little fish, and I keep on paddling. Yeah, you're right. Your metaphor is 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 notoriously always used to cover over a deep conspiratorial <laughs> truth. I don't know, Dave. You sounded increasingly like one of those flat earthers who all the evidence <laughs> is covered up. You just won't see it. <laughs> I think I think there is a flat earther in this conversation, Matt. And I don't think it's me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, look, I'll give you one more thing then, just to knock it out of the park. All right, so all right, all right. The big plan of Varys' is, is for the dragons to come over, isn't it? He wants yeah. Targaryens and dragons and all this pizzazz over in Westeros. Fried fish? Pardon? Fried fish? <laughs> no. But look, what do you get when you bring the ice of the north with fire, together with fire? What does that create? Meltwater. Exactly. Is it as simple as this, Dave? Bring the dragons north and melt the ice, <laughs> including perhaps the entire wall. What you've done is raise the coastline around the world. Magical global warming. <laughs> what do the, what More do the, space <laughs> for me to swim in, thinks Varys. <laughs> exactly. What do the mermaids get out of it? Lebensraum. <laughs> <laughs> More ocean real estate. 
If, yeah, but it's, that's only valuable if space is at a premium, and we have not seen evidence of overcrowded seas. Oh, we have, though. There's things in the water. Holy crap, Matt. You're right. <laughs> Listen, if the flooding was extreme enough, only a few islands would remain. Places like the Erie. Littlefinger, the <laughs> Merlin King, has made his seat the Erie. Littlefinger becomes King of the Merlings. There's a new take on the ship's name. Ferris is a mermaid. I arrest my case. <laughs> that is magnificent. You realise what you've done there is you've worked really, 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 really hard to make... Varys and Littlefinger together into a Westerosi version of Lex Luthor from the first Superman movie, where the whole thing is a real estate scam, right? And I don't think that's even a compelling reason inside the Superman story universe. I definitely don't think it's a compelling reason if you transplant it to the weird, you know, quasi-medieval world of Westeros. No, 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 absolutely not. No, 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 no. Nope. So am I to take from that that you're less than convinced with the full, full I, well, fat Varys is a mermaid theory? <laughs> well, for, I want to I wanna thank you for preparing that at such enormous length because that was glorious. That was a virtuoso <laughs> performance of conjecture and supposition. Um, and I definitely, full marks to anybody who, who, uh, who decided that um, that was their best way of describing the world. Um, <laughs> I, I still think it's complete cobblers. But I wouldn't object if it turned out to be the case. I think I would find that hilarious. <laughs> My favourite bit is, what does Varys get it? What do the mermaid get out of it? Lebensraum. Lebensraum. <laughs> <laughs> Deary yeah. me. Anyway, uh, well, that, well, that's a Comedy theory. is tragedy plus time, eh? <laughs> Deary well, that's, me. That's a theory. We've got many more to discuss in the future. There we go. Uh, but I, I think, I think is, that is where we best leave it for today. Yeah. Um, so I hope you enjoyed the. Uh, Thank you. The various is a mermaid <laughs> theory. <laughs> I did. I did very much. Yes, I thought it, it was great. It was like watching somebody juggle chine, ch- chainsaws, blindfolded, and um, and and as such, it was um, it was an arresting spectacle. <laughs> I can only say there's more to come as well as we re-enter next week, the bunker full of spoilers, but only after. We discuss episode six, which is on the way. So until then, here we go. Until then, Matt. Oh. That is Swiss wash. Bliss, 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 bli